1: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through
2: Romans. Real love is calling, opens up your eyes. Mercy is for you with every sunrise. The law is not an end to anything. It is simply a means to bring you to Christ. It's like a pedagogue who is not itself the one who's going to bring you benefit, but he's going to lead you to what ultimately will bring you benefit, and that is Christ. So that's the intention of the law. It's to expose the sin, make us aware of what sin is, and then lead us to the Savior, which is Christ. J.B. Phillips said, it is the straight edge of the law that shows us how crooked we are. End quote. Many
1: people think that the Bible is a rule book full of laws and orders of what you can and can't do. While that is one way that you could view the Bible, a more accurate and digestible way is to look at the Bible as a guideline. Within the Bible holds the standard for which we pattern our lives after—the life of Jesus. And while on this earth we won't ever fully live up to the perfect life of Christ, we can still pursue Him in every word we speak and every action we take. And we have the Holy Spirit to help. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Romans chapter 3 with today's
2: edition of Cornerstone Connection. I need someone who can forgive me and someone who can pay the price for me, and someone who loves me, I need a Savior. Now, here's what happened in Jesus' day. The Pharisees, instead of the law exposing their sinful hearts and making them aware of just how sinful they were, they looked at the law and they said, Okay, um, I, I see that I'm deficient in some of these areas, so what I need to do is step it up and add some more laws. And then they would just make a burden out of the law and think that if I just obey and obey and obey and obey, then I will find favor with God. Instead, they should have looked at the law and realized, wow, the, the law I can't live up to and thus I need to cry out for a savior. That's why they missed Jesus. That's why most of the Pharisees missed the savior because they looked at their own self righteousness and thought, I'll just keep obeying the law and I'll add more laws to help me feel good about myself. And it was this futile exercise of, I can't obey the law, so I'll add more. And then I can't obey those laws, so I'll add more. And it just is crippling. So the law is intended to explain what sin is, expose how sinful we are, and express our need for a Savior. Let me go back to this verse now, Galatians 3. When it says here in verse 24 that the law was put in charge, King James Version says that the law is our schoolmaster. And that word schoolmaster, or in the NIV where it says, was put in charge, it is the Greek word from which we get the word pedagogue. Now in the Greek culture, a pedagogue was a servant of a master whose responsibility was like a nanny. A pedagogue was someone who took a boy and led that boy to school, And the pedagogue would be the one to lead the boy to school and to watch over that kid and to make sure that kid got home safely again. And that was the responsibility of the pedagogue. It was the Greek slave who was entrusted like a nanny to help supervise the kids and make sure they would get to school. The pedagogue was not the teacher. The pedagogue would bring the student, bring the boy of the house to the classroom where the teacher would teach the child. Now, Paul uses this terminology in this because what he's saying is that the law is not an end to anything. It is simply a means to bring you to Christ. It's like a pedagogue who is not itself the one who's going to bring you benefit, but he's going to lead you to what ultimately will bring you benefit, and that is Christ. So that's the intention of the law. It's to expose the sin, make us aware of what sin is, and then lead us to the Savior, which is Christ. J.B. Phillips said, It is the straight edge of the law that shows us how crooked we are. End quote. That then when we begin to recognize God's perfect and beautiful standard, we begin to see just how crooked our lives are in comparison. So it is intended to point us to Christ to lead us to Christ that we might then find the savior in Jesus. So he uses this terminology here and then in verse 21. Now this is this is a great transition here in verse 21. So so notice this and I know you know the first words are but now and I know how this is going to sound but I'm going to say it anyway because this is important. That's a big but there my friends. All right. And here's the reason why. He's transitioning from the previous section which dealt with judgment to a new section which deals with justification. Everything we've just read up to this point has to do with judgment. God's wrath He's justifiable in his judgment. And so he's going to make the shift here now to justification. And the justification is going to be Notice if you have a subtitle there at verse 21 like my Bible does, it says righteousness through faith. He's going to use the word faith. Now, let me just advance here for you note takers. The word faith is going to be found 20 times just in these two chapters, 3 and 4. 20 times. He's also going to use the word grace eight times between chapters 4, 5, and 6. And he's going to use the word gift seven times also, between chapters four, five, and six, so those are three important words as we read through chapter three and, and uh, into chapter Four tonight, Faith, grace, and gift, faith, grace, and gifts. so he's moving now verse twenty one but now, so that's a transition statement. he's like, okay, we've talked about judgment now we're going he's going to talk about justification, but now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Okay, who's he referring to? Jesus. He's referring to Jesus. He says, there's a righteousness from God apart from the law. What was the only way they could be righteous before Christ was revealed? The law. You try to keep the law, you'd be a righteous person. Okay, and then through the sacrifice of animals, you're made temporarily righteous, God's provision and exchange of a life. The life of an animal for the life of the sinner. So that's how they would make atonement in temporary ways under the Old Covenant. And Paul says, now I want to, I want to explain to you how you can really be made righteous apart from the law. Because again, the law was only pointing to Christ. The law was to lead you to Christ. How many times can you slaughter an animal year after year and recognize that it doesn't really atone for you completely? So all of this is pointing to Christ. He says, I, I want to explain to you that there's a righteousness of God apart from the law which has been made known to which... Notice the law and prophets testify. You don't need to turn there, but in Luke 24, when Jesus appeared to his disciples after he rose from the dead, he said in Luke 24, 44, he said to them, speaking to his disciples after he rose from the dead, Luke 24, 44, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, And the Psalms. So Jesus even said to his own disciples, he said, look, all that was testified about me in the Old Testament scriptures, the law of Moses, the Psalms, the prophets, that includes all the Old Testament. He says, all of it was speaking about me and pointing to me to reveal me in its proper time. And that's what Paul is referring to back here in Romans 3 when he says, this has been made to which the law and the prophets testify. All of the Old Testament speaks of Christ in various ways throughout. And so Paul says, I'm now going to explain to you why Messiah had to come. He says, verse 22, this righteousness from God comes through faith. Here's that word. Faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. To all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now pause there before we get to the good news in verse 24. So again, we've all sinned. He's established this. I hope everybody recognizes this about our human condition. We're sinners. We're born into sin, and we continue to sin. Nobody's perfect. There's none righteous. No, not one. He's established all this. He says, okay, now, we've all fall short of the glory of God, the perfect standard of God we don't measure up to. It's the vertical. When we compare ourselves vertically, we don't measure up. So... In that sense we're guilty, but verse twenty-five, and are justified freely by his grace, there's the word grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now let me slow it down here because this is one of the things about the book of Romans. I mean it you know, again, this was required reading at Stanford University Law School a hundred years ago because of the way that Paul so eloquently makes the case and, and argues so clearly about things, but he's going to use some pretty strong Theological terms. So I'm going to give you some definitions of some words as we go through this. Like what in the world, what is justification? Look at verse 23. That's the first word I want us to look at. And are justified freely by his grace. Circle the word justified. And here's a basic definition for justification. Justification is the legal and formal acquittal from guilt by God as judge and his pronouncement on us as righteous in his sight. Okay, that's, that is justification it is a legal term where god like throws the gavel down and says i acquit you you are found not guilty even though we are guilty why are we found not guilty we're justified how freely by his grace through the redemption that came by christ jesus so because of what christ has done for us went which is grace Okay, the acronym GRACE, in case you've never heard before, God's Riches at Christ's Expense, G-R-A-C-E, God's Riches at Christ's Expense. Jesus dies on a cross, pays a price. When God looked at humanity and said, because we're all sinful, it would be right of him and just of him to condemn us all and to experience his wrath, something had to intervene, and someone did. God sends his son. Jesus dies on a cross. And then God says, now, here's what is necessary to appease my wrath. My son will die for you, for all of us. And then if we believe in what Christ has done, remember, this has come, this righteousness, verse 22, from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So if you believe and you exercise faith that what Christ did by dying on a cross was to pay the price for you because he appeased the wrath of God, then you'll be made righteous. What does that mean? You'll have right standing before God, not because of our own goodness, but because of the goodness of God and what Jesus did for us in dying for our sins. Everybody getting this? You understand what this is all about? So we, we recognize we're sinners. We need a savior. Jesus died and God made gracious provision for us. By the death of my son, it will appease my wrath. Your guilt of the human race will be placed on my son. I will accept on your behalf, God is saying to us in essence, I will accept on your behalf, my son who took on your consequences, your sin, your shame, your guilt, that will satisfy my wrath so that you can be forgiven and right before me. Isn't that wonderful? Come on, give God praise for that, because that's good news. That is the gospel. But he says, but you have to believe it. And you have to, you have to exercise faith. Otherwise, there's no remedy for you. You got to believe and understand in the human condition that is fallen and sinful, and then you have to believe in the remedy. So again, going back to the doctor analogy, you have to agree with the diagnosis. Then you have to agree with I'm going to believe by faith that I take this pill that's going to make me well. And that's the condition that we're in. We're dying of a terminal illness. It's called sin. God says, but I have a remedy for you. And if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you believe in what He did on the cross on your behalf for something that you can't do, then you can receive the remedy and you can be saved. That's the good news. So justification, the legal and formal acquittal from guilt by God as judge and his pronouncement on us as righteous in his sight. And then the other word that is used there in verse 24, and are justified freely by his grace. Oh, by the way, I my son, when he was at Liberty University a couple of years ago, he had to write definitions for justified. And this is a great way that I've always learned and remembered the, the breakdown of the word justified just as if I'd never sinned. Isn't that wonderful? That's a beautiful way to remember justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. So Austin was working through definitions. I said, "Austin, give this one to your to your prof. Tell him justified it means just as if I'd never sinned." So he writes on this paper, the professor wrote back, "That's a ridiculous explanation." <laughs> It's a wonderful explanation. I don't care what any liberty professor says. Anyway. (laughs) Justified freely by his grace through, here's the second word, the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Here's a working definition for redemption. Deliverance by paying a price. That's what redemption means. Deliverance by paying a price. Our deliverance from sin through the price of Jesus' blood. That's redemption. If you've been redeemed, it's because a price was paid on your behalf. So, Again, consider us all slaves to sin, sold to sin. God comes along, offers his son Jesus, dying a cross. That in essence frees us from the chains and the manacles of sin. And we're bought off the auction block by the precious blood of Christ. He's freed us. We're free. And he whom the son sets free is free Indeed. Verse 25, there's another There's another term here. Verse 25, and God presented him, that is Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Now, sacrifice of atonement is what the NIV uses, what I read from. If you have a King James Bible, it has a single word, and the word is propitiation. Okay, so here's the definition. Propitiation, or sacrifice of atonement, is the complete satisfaction of the wrath of God and are being reconciled to him. So it has a dual meaning. It means that God's wrath was appeased, but it's more than just he calms down, all right? It's also that he now has favor towards us. So it's both the appeasing or the satisfaction of his wrath, which is just against sinful people, because he wouldn't be a holy and just God if he allowed sin and unrighteousness to go unaddressed and unpunished, so his punishment was placed upon Christ, Isaiah 53 says, and by his stripes we are healed, we're made whole. Okay, but there had to be an appeasing of his wrath. So Jesus dies on a cross, he is the sacrifice of atonement, or he is the propitiation for our sins. By the way, it's interesting an interesting little tidbit, okay? your Wednesday night crowd, we drill down a little bit deeper in scripture. That word, propitiation, or sacrifice of atonement, in the Greek, New Testament, is the same word used in the Old Testament. Now, the Old Testament was primarily written in Hebrew, but there's a Greek translation of the Hebrew called the Septuagint. And the Greek word in Exodus 25, verse 17, for the word mercy seat, that was the lid on top of the Ark of the Covenant, is the exact word for propitiation or sacrifice of atonement. What does that mean? It means this. That in the Old Testament times, the only way you could make atonement for your sin to have your sins forgiven, was you had had to go through the priest, and the high priest, once a year, would take the blood of an animal into the inner chamber of the the temple of God. And in the inner chamber, there was a small box made of acacia wood covered in solid gold called the Ark, the Ark of the Covenant. And God, in the Old Testament times says, this is how I will make provision for you for atonement for your sins. Even today, the Jews call it the day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. And the high priest, once a year, would take the blood of an animal, go in, and sprinkle the blood on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, which was called the mercy seat. And in Exodus twenty-five, seventeen, that word for the mercy seat, the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, is the same exact word from Greek to Greek as this word right here referring to Christ and his blood because again what the old testament practice was supposed to do was to point you to the ultimate new testament fulfillment which is in christ and it is by his blood no longer the blood of an animal sprinkled on a mercy seat it was the blood of christ that makes atonement for your sins i mentioned this before i got in trouble in in israel uh, several years ago and and, uh, i've learned since then we can learn as we grow older but um we are at the temple institute which is uh Place where it is run by uh, strict Orthodox Jews, and they made all the articles of the temple because one day they want the temple to be rebuilt, and they're waiting on that great day. And so you can go in there; they have the menorah, they have all of the censers, and you know all of the all of the articles for the priest, and they're hoping one day for the for the temple to be rebuilt on the Temple Mount. And so, knowing the Old Testament scriptures requires the shedding of blood for the atonement of sins, I just gently said. Since there's no temple, there hasn't been a temple since 70 AD. How do you make atonement for your sins? Because, you know, I just wanted it as an open door to perhaps you should consider that Christ is the one to make atonement for your sins. They didn't see it as an open door. <laughs> and uh, and so but they, their answer that they gave me was, well, the rabbis have said, OK, that was the first thing that I heard was like, OK, rabbis you know okay wonderful but you're violating your own scriptures. so they said well the rabbis say that if we have faith and we pray it's good enough and that's when i got in trouble because i said with all due respect to your rabbis that's in violation of your own scriptures it wasn't a pretty day (laughs) but um but i've learned since then now i take the group in with us to the temple institute and i say okay don't ask any questions (laughs) and don't say anything sassy because i had to learn the hard way anyway so he, he goes on here let's see if we can finish out this chapter So verse 25, so God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. What does that mean? It just means that the Old Testament people, if they practice sacrifice of animals as a temporary means for their atonement, Why didn't God in his justice strike them dead? Because that was insufficient compared to the blood of Christ. And the answer is because God was just being patient until the day that Christ could be revealed. So he made a temporary provision for people. So a lot of times I get this question, what about the Old Testament people? How how were they able to go to heaven? And the reality is that if by faith they exercised faith and trusted that the provision God had given at that time, which was the sacrifice of animals that pointed to the eventual revelation of Messiah, that by faith and the exercise of that system, God made provision for them, they were kept in, now this is getting into a whole other sermon, but they were kept in the... Paradise side of Hades, where Jesus then went when he was crucified, three days when his body lay in the tomb by his spirit, he went and the Bible says he preached to those on the paradise side and then ushered them into heaven because then they were able to put their faith in the finished work of Christ, like now we do post the cross. So God made a gracious provision for those people ahead of time. By faith, they exercised it based on the righteousness of the, the blood of animals. And so God says, the reason I didn't wipe them out is because I was waiting for revelation of Messiah, but I made provision for them. And verse 27, where then is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith, that's the Jews, and the uncircumcised, that's a term for Gentiles, through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. In other words, okay, if we all have faith now, is the rest of the Bible just, you know, no good? No. No. No, it upholds the law because it's the law still communicates the righteous character of who God is, and it demonstrates His patience with us, and it demonstrates the fulfillment of all that the law pointed to that was revealed to us in Christ. So, Lord willing, we'll pick it up with chapter four. And uh, I know you know Romans can be a little a little deep. It's almost like a you know a good bible college course but um you know i just feel prompted in my heart that this whole talk about how you can be forgiven and justified and redeemed if you don't know christ as your savior i'm going to invite you to receive him by faith ask him to come into your heart to be your lord and savior
1: We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection as we dig into the Book of Romans. Isn't Paul's faith inspiring? Did you know you can download our mobile app and take Cornerstone Connection with you wherever you take your phone? That way you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word right at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device on our website, CornerstoneConnection.cc. We'd love to meet you in person, too, at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Stop in for a service this Sunday at 8.30, 10, or 11.45 a.m., or join us for our Bible study and fellowship on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Pastor Gary would love to shake your hand and answer any questions you may have about the study about Cornerstone Chapel, or about how you can have a relationship with God. Find out more at cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can listen to additional teachings from this study, or read accompanying resources on our site as well. Just look under the Teachings tab. That's all we have for today, but join us next time to learn more from the Book of Romans, right here on Cornerstone Connection.
2: That you've got no place to go, but still you know. But still you know you're not alone.